0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Drunken Storytellers Podcast. We're in season four, we're gonna get back into kind of more of the the folklore rather than the gothic horror but we're still going to be telling some tales and this is episode 50 so I've managed to stay around for 50 whole episodes I feel quite proud of myself for this one but as this is episode 50 means we're going to dive back into those wonderful tales from Welsh mythology, the Mabinogion. And we're going to look at our first King Arthur story. Well, King Arthur, I say, it's not got much of King Arthur in it, but it is one of the Arthurian tales. It is one of the three great Welsh romances. This is Awain and the Lady of the Fountain. So sit back, grab yourself a drink... Keep yourself warm, and enjoy the tale. King Arthur was at Caerleon upon Usk, and one day he sat in his chamber, and with him were Awain, the son of Orion and Kinon, the son of Clidno, and Kai, the son of Cainir, and Guinevere, and her handmaidens. And if it should be said that there was a porter at Arthur's palace, there was none was there, acting as porter, to welcome guests and strangers, and to receive them with honour, and to inform them of the manners and customs of the court, and to direct those who came to the hall, or to the presence-chamber, and those who came to take up their lodging. In the centre of the chamber King Arthur sat upon the seat of green rushes, over which was spreading a covering of flame-coloured satin, and a cushion of red satin under his elbow. Then Arthur spoke if i thought you would not disparage me said he i would sleep while i wait for my repast and you can entertain one another with relating tales and i can obtain a flagon of mead and some meat from kai and the king went to sleep and keen the son of clidno and kai for that which arthur had promised them i too will have the good tale which he has promised to me said kai nay answered kainon Fairer will it be thee to fulfil Arthur's behest in the first palace, and then we will tell thee the best tale that we know. So Kai went to the kitchen and to the mead-cellar, and returned bearing a flagon of mead and a golden goblet, and a handful of skewers, upon which were boiled collops of meat. Then they ate the collops and began to drink the mead. Now, said Kai, it is time for you to give me my story. Kai Kynon! said owain do thou pay to kai the tale that is his due truly said kynon thou art older and art a better teller of tales and hast seen more marvellous things than i do thou therefore pay kai his tale begin thyself quoth owain with the best that thou knowest i will do so answered kynon i was the only son of my mother and father and I was exceedingly aspiring, and my daring was very great. I thought there was no enterprise in the world too mighty for me, and after I had achieved all the adventures that were in my own country, I equipped myself, and set forth to journey through the deserts and distant regions, and at length I chanced that I came to the fairest valley in the world. Wherein were trees of equal growth, and a river ran through the valley, and a path was by the side of the river, and I followed the path until midday, and continued my journey along the remainder of the valley until the evening and at the extremity of the plain i came to a large and lustrous castle at the foot of which was a torrent and i approached the castle and there i beheld two youths with yellow curling hair each with a frontlet of gold upon his head and clad in a garment of yellow satin and they had gold clasps upon their insets In the hand each of them was an ivory bow, Strung with the sinews of the stag, And the arrows had shafts of the bone of the whale, And were winged with peacock feathers. The shafts had golden heads, And they had daggers with blades of gold, And with hilts of bone of the whale, And they were shooting their daggers. And a little way from them I saw a man In the prime of his life, With his beard newly shorn, Clad in a Roman mantle of yellow satin and round the top of his mantle was a band of gold lace, on his feet were shoes of very leather, fastened by two bosses of gold. When I saw him, I went towards him and saluted, and such was his courtesy that he no sooner received my greeting than he returned it, and he went with me towards the castle. Now, there were no dwellers in the castle except those who were on the hill, and there I saw four-and-twenty damsels embroidering satin at the window and this i tell thee kai that the least fair of them was fairer than the fairest maiden thou hast ever beheld in the islands of britain and the least lovely of them was more lovely than guinevere the wife of arthur when she had appeared loveliest at the offering on the day of the nativity or at the feast of easter they rose up to my coming and six of them took my horse and divested me of my armour and six others took my arms and washed them in vessels until they were perfectly bright, and the third six spread cloths upon the table and prepared meat, and the fourth six took off my soiled garments and placed others upon me, namely an undervest and a doublet of fine linen and a robe and a surcoat, and a mantle of yellow satin and with a broad gold, gold band upon the mantle, and they placed cushions both beneath and around me with offerings of red linen, and I sat down now the six maidens who had taken my horse unharnessed him as well as if they had been the best squires in the island of britain then behold they wore bowls of silver wherein was water to wash and towels of linen some green and some white and i washed and in a little while the man sat down to the table and i sat next to him and below me sat all the maidens except those who waited on us and the table was of silver and the costs upon the table were of linen and no vessel was served upon the table that was not either gold or of silver or of buffalo horn and our meat was brought to us verily kai i saw there were every sort of meat and every sort of liquor that i had ever seen elsewhere but the meat and the liquor were better served there than i have ever seen in any other Until the repast was half over, neither the man nor any of the damsels spoke a single word to me. But when the man perceived that it wouldn't be more agreeable to me to converse than to eat any more, he began to inquire of me who I was. I said I was glad to find that there was someone who would discourse with me, and that it was not considered so great a crime at the court for people to hold converse together. Chieftain, said the man. We would have talked to thee sooner, but we feared to disturb thee during thy repast. Now, however, we will discourse. Then I told the man who I was, and what the cause of my journey, and said that I was seeking whether any one was superior to me, or whether I could gain the mastery over all. the man looked upon me, and he smiled, and said, If I do not fear to distress thee too much, I would show thee that which thou seekest upon this i became anxious and sorrowful and when the man perceived it he said if thou wouldest rather that i should show thee thy disadvantages and thy advantage i will do so sleep here to-night and in the morning arise early and take the road upwards through the valley until thou reachest the wood through which thou camest hither a little way within the wood thou wilt meet a road branching off to the right I wish thou must proceed, until thou comest to a large sheltered glade with a mound in the centre, and thou wilt seek a black man of great stature on top of the mound. He is not smaller in size than two of the men of this world. He has but one foot and one eye in the middle of his forehead, and he has a club of iron, and it is certain that he has no two men in the world who would not find their burden in that club. And he is not a comely man but on the contrary he is exceedingly ill-favoured, and he is the woodward of that wood, and thou wilt see a thousand wild animals grazing around him. Inquire of him the way out of the glade, and he will reply to thee briefly, and will point out the road by which thou shalt find, that which thou art in quest of. And long seemed that night to me, and the next morning I arose and equipped myself, and mounted my horse, and proceeded straight through the valley to the wood, and I followed the cross-road which the man had pointed out to me, till at length I arrived at the glade. And there I was, three times more astonished at the number of wild animals that I beheld than the man had said I should be. And the black man was there, sitting upon the top of the mound, huge of stature as the man had told me that he was. I found him to exceed by far the description he had given me of him as for the iron club which the man had told me was a burden for two men i am certain kai that it would be a heavy weight for four warriors to lift and this was in the black man's hand and he only spoke to me in answer to my questions then i asked him what power he held over the animals i will show thee little man said he And he took his club in his hand, and with it he struck a stag, a great blow, so that he brayed vehemently, and that his braying the other animals came, as numerous as the stars in the sky, so that it was difficult for me to find room in the glade to stand among them. There were serpents and dragons and divers, sorts of animals. And he looked at them, and bade them go and feed, and they bowed their heads and did homage as vassals to their lord. Then the black man said to me, "'Seest thou now, little man, "'what power I hold over these animals?' "'Then I inquired of him the way, "'and he became very rough in his manner to me. "'However, he asked me whither I would go, "'and I told him who I was and what I sought. "'He directed me. "'Take,' said he, "'that path that leads towards the head of the glade "'and ascend the wooded steep.' until thou comest to its summit. And there thou wilt find an open space to a large valley, and in the midst of it a tall tree, whose branches are greener than the greenest pine trees. Under this tree there is a fountain, and by the side of the fountain a marble slab, and on the marble slab the silver bowl, attached by a silver chain that it may not be carried away take the bowl and throw a bowl full of water upon the slab and thou wilt hear a mighty peal of thunder so that thou wilt think that heaven and earth are trembling with its fury with the thunder there will come a shower so severe that it will scarce possibly for thee to endure it and live and the shower will be of hailstones and after the shower the weather will become fair but every leaf that was upon the tree will have been carried away by the shower then a flight of birds will come and alight upon the tree and in thine own country thou this never hear a strain as sweet as that which they will sing and at the moment thou art most delighted with the song of the birds thou wilt hear a murmuring and complaining, coming towards thee along the valley. And thou wilt see a knight upon a coal-black horse, clothed in black velvet, and with a pennon of black linen upon a lance. And he will ride unto thee to encounter thee with utmost speed. If thou fleest from him, he will overtake thee, "'And if thou abidest there, as sure as thou art a mounted knight, he will leave thee on foot. "'And if thou dost not find trouble in that adventure, thou needest not seek it during the rest of thy life.' "'So I journeyed on until I reached the summit of the steep, and there I found everything as the black man had described to me. "'And I went up to the tree, and beneath it I saw the fountain.' and by its side the marble slab and the silver bowl fastened by the chain. And they took the bowl and cast a bowlful of water upon the slab, and thereupon, behold, the thunder came, much more violent than the black man had led me to expect. And after the thunder came a shower, and of a truth I tell thee, Kai, that there is neither man nor beast that can endure the shower and live for not one of those hailstones would be stopped, either by flesh or by the skin, until it had reached the bone. I turned my horse's flank towards the shower, and placed the beak of my shield over his head and neck, while I held the upper part of it over my own head, and thus I withstood the shower. When I looked on the trees, there was not a single leaf upon it, and then the sky became clear, and with that, behold the birds lighted upon the tree and sang and truly kai i have never heard any melody equal to that either before or since and when i was most charmed with listening to the birds lo a murmuring voice was heard through the valley approaching me and saying O knight, what hast thou brought thee hither? What evil have I done to thee, That thou should act toward me in my possessions As thou hast this day? Dost thou not know that the shower to-day Has left in my dominions neither man nor beast alive, That I was exposed to it? And thereupon beheld a knight on a black horse appeared, Clothed in jet-black velvet, And a tabard of black linen about him and we charged each other and on the onset was furious it was not long before i was overthrown then the knight passed the shaft of his lance through my bridle of my rein of my horse and rode off with the two horses leaving me where i was And he did not even bestow so much notice upon me as to imprison me nor did he despoil me of my arms so he turned along the road by which i had come and when I reached the glade, where the black man was, I confessed to thee, Kai, it is a marvel that it did not melt down into a liquid pool, through the shame that I felt at the black man's derision, and that night I came to the same castle where I had spent the night preceding. And I was more agreeably entertained that night than I had been the night before, and I was better feasted, and I conversed freely with the inmates of the castle, and none of them alluded to my expedition to the fountain, Neither did I mention it to any, and I remained there that night. When I arose on the morrow I found, ready-saddled, a dark bay palfrey, with nostrils as red as scarlet, and after putting on my armour, and leaving there my blessing, I returned to my own court. And that horse I still possess, and he is in the stable-yard yonder, and I declare that I would not part with him for the best palfrey in the island of Britain. Now for truth, Kai. No man ever before confessed to an adventure so much to his own discredit. And verily, it seems strange to me that neither before nor since have I heard of any person besides myself who knew of this adventure, and that the subject of it exists within King Arthur's dominions without any person lighting upon it. Now, quoth Awain. Would it not be well to go and endeavour to discover that place?" "'By the hand of my friend,' said Kai. "'often dost thou utter with thy tongue Which thou wouldst not make good with thy deeds?' "'In very truth,' said Guinevere, "'it were better thou wert hang, Cai, Than to use such uncourteous speech towards a man like Owain. "'By the hand of my friend, good lady, Said Kai, Thy praise of Owain is not greater than mine. With that, Arthur awoke, and asked if he had not been sleeping a little. Yes, Lord, answered Owain, thou hast slept a while. Is it time for us to go to meet? It is, Lord. Then the horn for washing was sounded, and the king and all his household sat down to And when the meal was ended, Owain withdrew to his lodging, and made ready his horse and his arms. On the morrow, with the dawn of the day, he put on his armour, and mounted his charger, and travelled through distant lands and over distant mountains. And at length he arrived at the valley which Kinnon had described to him, and he was certain that it was the same that he had sought. And journeying along the valley, by the side of the river, he followed its course till he came to the plain and within sight of the castle. When he approached the castle, he saw the youths shooting their daggers in the place where Kinnon had said them, and the yellow man to whom the castle belonged standing hard by. And no sooner had Owain saluted the yellow man than he was saluted by him in return. And he went towards the castle, and he went towards the castle, and there he saw the chamber. And when he had entered the chamber, he beheld the maidens working at satin embroidery, in chairs of gold. And their beauty and their comeliness seemed to Owain far greater than Kenon had represented them, and they rose to wait upon Owain as they had done to Kenon. And the meal which they set before him gave more satisfaction to Owain than it had done to Kenon. About the middle of the repast, the other man asked Owain the object of his journey, and Owain made it known to him and said, "I am in quest of the knight who guards the fountain." Upon this the yellow man smiled and said that he was as loath to point out that adventure to Owain as he had been to Kenon. However, he described the whole to Owain, and they retired to rest. The next morning Owain found his horse made ready for him by the damsels, and he set forward and came to the glade where the black man was, and the stature of the black man seemed more wonderful to Owain than it had done to Kinon. And Owain asked of him his road, and he showed him. Owain followed the road, as Kenon had done, till he came to the green tree, and he beheld the fountain and the slab beside the fountain, with the bowl upon it. Owain took the bowl and threw a bowlful of water upon the slab, and lo, the thunder was heard. And after the thunder came the shower, much more violent than Kenon had described, and after the shower the sky became bright. And when Owain looked at the tree, there was not one leaf upon it. And immediately the birds came and settled upon the tree and sang. And when their song was most pleasing to Owain, he beheld a knight coming towards him through the valley. And he prepared to receive him and encountered him violently. Having broken both their lances, they drew their swords and fought blade to blade. Then Owain struck the knight a blow through his helmet head pierced and visor, and through the skin and the flesh and the bone, until it wounded the very brain. Then the black knight felt that he had received a mortal wound, upon which he turned his horse's head and fled. Owain pursued him and followed close upon him, although he was not near enough to strike him with his sword. Thereupon Owain described a vast and resplendent castle, and they came to the castle gate. The black knight was allowed to enter, and the portcullis was let fall upon Awain, and it struck his horse behind the saddle, and cut him in two, and carried away the rowels of the spurs that were upon Owain's heel, and the portcullis descended to the floor, and the rowels of the spurs and the part of the horse were without, and Owain and the other part of the horse remained between the two gates, and the inner gate was closed, so that Owain could not go thence. Nowaine was in a perplexing situation. While he was in this state he could see through an aperture in the gate the street facing him with a row of houses on each side and he beheld a maiden with yellow curling hair and a frontlet of gold upon her head and she was clad in a dress of yellow satin and her feet were shoes of variegated leather and she approached the gate and desired that it should be opened "'Heaven knows, lady,' said Owain, "'it is more possible for me to open to thee from hence "'than it is for thee to set me free.' "'Truly,' said the damsel, "'it is very sad that thou canst not be released, "'and every woman ought to secure thee, "'for I never saw one more faithful to the service of ladies than thou. "'As a friend thou art the most sincere, "'and as a lover the most devoted. "'Therefore,' quoth she, Whatever is in my power to do for thy release, I will do it. Take this ring and put it on thy finger, with the stone inside thy hand, and close thy hand upon the stone, and as long as thou concealest it, it will conceal thee. When they have consulted together, they will come forth to fetch thee in order to put thee to death, and they will be much grieved that they cannot find thee, and will. And I will await thee on the horse-block yonder, and thou wilt be able to see me, though I cannot see thee. Therefore come and place thy hand upon my shoulder, that I may know that thou art near me, and by the way that I go hence, do thou accompany me. Then she went away from Awain, and and did all the maiden had told him. And the people of the castle came to seek Awain, to put him to death. And when they found nothing but the half of his horse, they were sorely grieved and owain vanished from among them and went to the maiden placed his hand upon her shoulder whereupon she set off and owain followed her until they came to the door of a large and beautiful chamber and the maiden opened it and they went in and closed the door owain looked around the chamber and behold there was not even a single nail in it that was not painted with gorgeous colour and there was not a single panel that had not sundry images in gold portrayed upon it the maiden kindled a fire, and took water in a silver bowl, and a towel of white linen on her shoulder, and go away in water to wash. Then she placed before him a silver table inlaid with gold, upon which was a cloth of yellow linen. Then she brought him food, and, of a truth, Owain had never seen any kind of meat that was not there in abundance, but it was better cooked there than he had ever found it in any other place. Nor did he ever see so excellent a display of meat and drink as there, and there was not one vessel from which was served that was not of gold or of silver. Owain ate and drank until late in the afternoon, when lo, they heard a mighty clamor in the castle. Owain asked the maiden what the outcry was. They are administering extreme unction, she said, to the nobleman who owns the castle. And Owain went to sleep. The couch which the maiden had prepared for him was meant for Arthur himself. It was of scarlet and fur and satin and sandal and fine linen. In the middle of the night they heard a woeful outcry. "'What outcry again is this?' said Owain. "'The new woman who owned the castle is now dead,' said the woman. And a little after daybreak they heard an exceedingly loud clamour and wailing. Owain asked the maiden what was the cause of it they are bearing to the church the body of the nobleman who owned the castle. The Wain rose up and clothed himself, opened a window of the chamber and looked towards the castle, and he could see neither the bounds nor the extent of the host that filled the streets, and they were fully armed, and a vast number of women were with them, both on horseback and on foot, and all of the ecclesiastics in the city singing it seemed to her way that the sky resounded with the vehemence of their cries and with the noise of the trumpets and the singing of the ecclesiastics in the midst of the throng he beheld the briar over which was a veil of white linen and wax tapers were burning beside and around it and none that supported the briar was lower in rank than a powerful baron Neither did Owain see an assemblage so gorgeous with satin and silk and sendal, and following the train he beheld a lady with yellow hair falling over her shoulders, and stained with blood, and about her a dress of yellow satin which was torn. Upon her feet were shoes of variegated leather, and it was a marvel that the ends of her fingers were not bruised, from the violence with which she smote her hands together, truly she would have been the fairest lady Owain had ever seen had she been in her usual gaze, and her cry was louder than the shout of the men and the clamour of the trumpets. No sooner had he beheld the lady than he became inflamed with love for her, so that it took entire possession of him. Then he inquired of the maiden who the lady was. Heaven knows, replied the maiden, she may be said to be the fairest and the most chaste and the most liberal and the wisest and the most noble of women. And she is my mistress and she is called the countess of the fountain the wife of him thou dislay yesterday verily said owen she is the woman that i love best verily said the maiden she shall also love thee not a little and with that the maid arose and kindled a fire and filled a pot with water and placed it to warm She brought a towel of white linen and placed it around Owain's neck, and she took a goblet of ivory and a silver basin and filled them with warm water, wherewith she washed Owain's head. Then she opened a wooden casket and drew forth a razor, whose haft was of ivory, and upon which were two rivlets of gold, and she shaved his beard and dried his head, and his throat with the towel. Then she rose up before Owain and brought him to eat. And truly Owain had never so good a meal, nor was he ever so well served. When he finished his repast, the maiden arranged his counts. Come here, she said, and sleep, and I will go and woo for thee. And Owain went to sleep, and the maiden shut the door of the chamber after her, and went towards the castle. When she came there she found nothing but mourning and sorrow, and the countess in her chamber could not bear the sight of anyone through grief. Loon came and saluted her, but the countess answered her not, and the maiden bent down towards her, and said, What aileth thee, that thou answerest no one to-day? Looned, said the council, What charge hath befallen thee, that thou hast not come to visit me in my grief? It was wrong in thee, and I have made thee rich. It was wrong in thee, that thou didst not come to see me in my distress. That was wrong in thee. Truly said luned i thought thy good sense was greater than i find it to be is it well for thee to mourn after that good man or for anything else that thou canst not have i declare to heaven said the countess that in the world there is not a man equal to him not so said luned for an ugly man would be as good as or better than he." i declare to heaven said the countess that it would not be repugnant to me to cause to be put to death one whom I have brought up. I would have thee executed for making such a comparison to me. As it is, I will banish thee. I am glad, said Lunid, that thou hast no other cause to do so than that I would have been of service to thee where thou didst not know what was it to thine advantage, and henceforth evil betide whichever of us shall make the first advance towards reconciliation to the other.' Whether I seek an invitation from thee, or thou, of thine own accord, shall send us to invite me. With that, Lunad went forth, and the countess arose and followed her to the door of the chamber, and began coughing loudly. And when Lunad looked back, the countess beckoned to her, and she returned to the countess. In truth, said the countess, evil is thy disposition, but if thou knowest what is my advantage, declare it to me. I will do. Quoth she, Thou knowest that except by warfare and arms it is impossible for thee to preserve thy possessions. Delay not, therefore, to seek someone who can defend them. And how can I do that? said the countess. I will tell thee, said Luned, until thou canst defend the fountain, thou canst not maintain thy dominion, and no one can defend the fountain except it be a knight of Arthur's household. And I will go to Arthur's court and ill betide me if I return thence without a warrior who can guard the fountain as well as, or even better than, he who defended it formerly. That will be hard to perform, said the Countess. Go, however, and make proof of that which house thou hast promised. Lunid set out under the pretense of going to Arthur's court, but she went back to the chamber where she had left Awain and she tarried there with him as long as it might have taken her to have travelled to the court of king arthur and at the end of that time she apprailed herself and went to visit the countess the countess was much rejoiced when she saw her and inquired what news she brought from the court I bring thee the best of news said lunid for i have come past the object of thy mission when wilt thou that I should present to thee the chieftain who has come with me hither? Bring him here to visit me to-morrow, at midday, said the countess, and I will cause the town to be assembled by that time. Lunid returned home, and the next day at noon, Awain arrayed himself in a coat and surcoat and a mantle of yellow satin, upon which was a broad band of gold lace, and on his feet were high shoes of variegated leather, which were fastened by gold clasps, in the form of lions, and they proceeded to the chamber of the Countess. Right glad was the Countess of their coming, and she gazed steadfastly upon a wain, and said, "Luned, this knight has not the look of a traveller. What harm is there in that lady? said Luned. I am certain, said the Countess, that no other man than this has chased the soul from the body of my lord. So much the better for thee, lady, said Lunan, for had he not been stronger than thy lord, he could not have deprived him of life. There is no remedy for that which is past, be as it may. Go back to thine abode, said the countess, and I will take counsel. The next day the countess caused all of her subjects to assemble, and showed them that her elder was left defenceless. "'that it could not be protected but with horse and arms and military skill. "'Therefore,' she said, "'this is what I offer you for choice. "'Either let one of you take me, or give your consent for me to take a husband from elsewhere to defend my dominions.' "'So they came to the determination that it was better that she should have permission to marry someone from elsewhere,' And thereupon she sent for the bishops and archbishops to celebrate her nuptials with Owain, And the men of the Earlham did Owain homage. Owain defended the mountain with lance and sword, and this is the manner in which he defended it. Whensoever a knight came there he overthrew them, and sold him for his full worth. And what he thus gained he divided among his barons and his knights. And no man in the whole world could be more beloved than he was by his subjects. And it was thus for the space of three years it befell that as gwelkmai went forth one day with king arthur he perceived him to be very sad and sorrowful and gwelkmai was much grieved to see arthur in this state and he questioned him saying o my lord what has befallen thee in sooth sir gwelkmai said arthur i am grieved concerning a whom i have lost these three years and i shall certainly die if the fourth year passes without my seeing him Now I am sure that is through the tale which Kynon, the son of Klinlod, related, that I have lost Awain. There is no need for thee, said Gwalchmai, to summon to arms thy whole dominions on this account, for thou thyself and the men of thy household will be able to avenge Awain, if he be slain, or to set him free if he be imprisoned, and if alive to bring him back with thee. And he was settled according to what Gwalchmai had said. Then Arthur and the men of his household prepared to go and seek Gawain, and their number was three thousand besides their attendants. And Keon, the son of Clidno acted as their guide, and Arthur came to the castle where Kenon had been before. And when he came there were youths shooting in the same place, and the yellow man was standing hard by. When the yellow man saw Arthur, he greeted him, and invited him to the castle, and Arthur accepted the invitation, and they entered the castle together. And great as was the number of his retinue, their presence was scarcely observed in the castle, so vast was its extent. And the maidens rose up to wait upon them, and the service of the maidens appeared to them all to excel any attendance that they had ever met with. And even the pages who had the charge of the horses were no worse served that night than Arthur himself would have been in his own palace. The next morning Arthur set out thence with Kenon for his guide, and came to the place where the black man was. And the stature of the black man was more surprising to Arthur than it had been represented to him, and they came to the top of the wooded steep, and they traversed the valley till they reached the green tree where they saw the fountain, and the bowl and the slab, and upon that Kai came to Arthur and spoke to him. My lord, said he, I know the meaning of all this, and my request is this that thou wilt permit me to throw the water on the slab, and to receive the first adventure that may befall.' And Arthur gave him leave. Then Kai threw a bowlful of water upon the slab, and immediately there came the thunder, and after the thunder the shower, and such a thunderstorm they had never known before, and many of the attendants who were in Arthur's train were killed by the shower. And after the shower had ceased, the sky became clear, and on looking at the tree that they beheld it, completely leafless. Then the birds descended upon the tree, and the song of the birds was far sweeter than any strain they had ever heard before. Then they beheld a knight on a coal-black horse, clothed in black satin, coming rapidly towards them. And Kai met him, and encountered him, and it was not long before Kai was overthrown. And the knight withdrew, and Arthur and his host encamped for the night. And when they arose in the morning, they perceived the signal of combat upon the lance of the knight. And Kai came to Arthur, and spoke to him. "'My lord,' said he, "'thou wast overthrown yesterday. If it seemed good to thee, I would gladly meet the knight again today.' "'Thou may doest so,' said Arthur, and Kai went towards the knight. And on the spot he overthrew Kai, and struck him with the head of his lance in the forehead, so that it broke his helmet and the headpiece, and pierced the skin of the flesh, the breadth of the spearhead, even to the bone, and Kai returned to his companions. After this, all the household of Arthur went forth, one after the other, to combat the knight, until there was not one that was not overthrown by him, except Arthur and Gualkmai and Arthur armed himself to encounter the knight. "'Oh, my lord,' said Gualkmai, "'permit me to fight him first. And Arthur permitted him, and he went forth to meet the knight, having over himself and his horse a satin robe of honour, which had been sent to him by the daughter of the Earl of Ranqui, and in the dress he was not known by any of the host, and they charged each other, and fought all that day until the evening, and neither of them was able to unhorse the other. The next day they fought with strong lances, and neither of them could obtain the mastery. And on the third day they fought with exceeding strong lances, and they were incensed with rage and fought furiously until noon. And they gave each other such a shock that the girths of their horses were broken, so that they fell over their horses' croupers to the ground. And they rose up speedily, and drew their swords and resumed the combat. And the multitude that witnessed their encounter felt assured that they had never been two men so valiant or so powerful. And it had not been midnight. It would have been light from the fire that flashed from their weapons. And the knight gave Gwalkmai a blow that turned his helmet off his face, so that the knight knew that it was Gwalkmai. Then Owain said, My lord, Gwalkmai! I do not know thee for my cousin, owing to the robe of honour that enveloped thee. Take my sword and my arms. Said Gwalchmai. Thou, Owain, art the victor. Take thou my sword. And with that Arthur saw that they were conversing, and advanced towards them. My lord Arthur, said Gwalchmai, here is Owain, who has vanquished me, and will not take my arms my lord said owain it is he that has vanquished me and he will not take my sword give me your swords said arthur and then neither of you has vanquished the other owain put his arms around arthur's neck and they embraced and all the host hurried forward to see owain and to embrace him and there was nigh bearing a loss of life so great as was the press they retired that night, and the next day Arthur prepared to depart. "'My lord,' said Owain, "'this is not well of thee, "'for I have been absent from thee three years, "'and during all that time, after this very day, "'I have been preparing a banquet for thee, "'knowing that thou wouldst come to seek me. "'Tarry with me, therefore, "'until thou and thy attendants have recovered from the fatigues of the journey, "'and have been anointed.' They all proceeded to the castle of the Countess of the Fountain, and the banquet, which had been three years preparing, was consumed in three months. Never had they a more delicious or agreeable banquet, and Arthur prepared to depart. Then he sent an embassy to the Countess, to beseech her to permit Owain to go with him for the space of three months, that he might show him to the nobles and the fair dames of the island of Britain, the countess gave her consent, although it was painful for her. So Owain came with Arthur to the island of Britain, and when he was once more among his kindred and his friends, he remained three years instead of three months with them. And as Owain sat at meat in the city of Kelowon upon Usk, beheld a damsel entered upon a bay horse, with a curling mane covered with foam, and the bridle, and so much as was seen of the saddle were gold. And the damsel was arrayed in the dress of yellow satin. And she came up to Arwain and took the ring from off his hand. Thus, she said, shall be treated the deceiver, the traitor, the faithless, the disgraced and the beardless. She turned her horse and departed. Then his adventure came to Arwayne's remembrance. And he was sorrowful, and having finished eating, he went to his own abode and made preparations that night. And the next day he arose, but did not go to court, but wandered the distant part of the earth to the uncultivated mountains, and he remained there until all his apparel was all out, and his body was wasted away, his hair was grown long, and he went about with his wild beasts, and fed with them, until they became familiar with him, but at length he grew so weak that he could no longer bear them company. Then he descended from the mountains to the valley, and came to the park that was the fairest in the world, and belonged to the widowed countess. One day the countess and her maidens went forth to walk by a lake, that there was in the middle of the park, and they saw the form of a man, and they were terrified. Nevertheless they went near him, and touched him, and looked at him, and they saw that there was life in him, though he was exhausted by the heat of the sun. The countess returned to the cast and took a flask full of precious ointment, and gave it to one of her maidens. Go with this, she said, and take with thee yonder horse and clothing, and place them near the man we just saw now, and anoint him with the balsams near his heart, and if there is life in him, he will rise with the efficacy of the balsam, then watch what he will do. The maiden departed from her, and poured the whole of the balsam upon a wain, and left the horse and the garments hard by, and went a little way off, and hid herself to watch him. In a short time she saw him begin to move his arms, and he rose up, and looked at his person, and became ashamed of the unseemliness of his appearance. Then he perceived the horse and the garments that were near him, and he crept forward till he was able to draw the garments to him from off the saddle. He clothed himself, and with difficulty mounted the horse. Then the damsel discovered herself to him, and saluted him. He was rejoiced when he saw her, and inquired of her. What land and what territory was this? Truly, said the maiden, a widowed countess owns yonder castle. At the death of her husband, he left her two earldoms. But at this day she has put this one dwelling that has not been wrested from her by a young Earl, who is her neighbour, because she refused to become his wife." "'That is a pity,' said Owain. And he and the maiden proceeded to the castle, he alighted there. The maiden conducted him to a pleasant chamber, and a kindled fire, and left him. The maiden came to the countess, and gave the flask into her hand. "'Ha! Maiden!' said the countess where is all the balsam have i not used it all she said (laughs) maiden said the countess i cannot easily forgive thee this it is sad for me to have wasted seven score pounds worth of precious ointment upon a stranger whom i know not however maiden wait thou upon him until he is quite recovered and the maiden did so and furnished him with meat and drink and fire and lodging and medicaments, until he was well again, and in three months he was restored to his former guise and became even more comely than he had ever been before. One day Owain heard a great tumult, and the sound of arms in the castle, and he inquired of the maiden the cause thereof, whom I mention to these has come before the castle with a numerous army to subdue the countess. Owain inquired of her whether the countess had a horse and arms in her possession, "'She has the best in the world,' said the maiden. "'Wilt thou go and request the loan of a horse and arms for me?' said Owain, "'that I may go and look at this army.' "'I will,' said the maiden. "'Then she came to the countess and told her what Owain had said, "'and the countess laughed. (laughs) "'Truly,' said she, "'I will even give him a horse and arms for ever.' such a horse and such arms had he never yet and i am glad that they should be taken by him to-day lest my enemies have them against my will to-morrow yet i know not what he would do with them the countess bade them bring out a beautiful black steed upon which a beech and saddle and a suit of armour for man and horse wayne armed himself and mounted the horse and went forth attended by two pages completely equipped with horses and arms and when they came near to the earl's army they could see neither its extent nor its extremity. Owain asked the pages in which troop the earl was. ''In yonder troop,'' said they, ''in which are four yellow standards. Two of them are before and two behind.'' ''Now,'' said Owain, ''do you return and await me near the portal of the castle?'' So they returned, and Owain pressed forward until he met the earl. Owain drew him completely out of his saddle, and turned his horse's head towards the castle, and though it was with difficulty, he brought the earl to the portal, where the pages awaited him. And in they came. Owain presented the earl as a gift to the countess, and said to her, Behold, are you acquittal to thee for thy blessed balsam?" The army encamped around the castle, and the earl restored to the countess the two earldoms he had taken from her, as a ransom for his life, and for his freedom he gave her half of his own dominions and all his gold and his silver and his jewels, besides hostages. Owain took his departure, and the countess and all of her subjects besought him to remain, but Owain chose rather to wander through the distant lands and deserts. As he journeyed, he heard a loud yelling in a wood, and it was repeated a second and a third time. And Owain went towards the spot, and beheld a huge craggy mound in the middle of the wood, on one side of which was a grey rock, and there was a cleft in the rock, and a serpent was there within the cleft. Near the rock stood a black lion, and every time the lion sought to go thence, the serpent darted towards him to attack. And Owain unsheathed his sword, and drew near to the rock. As the serpent sprang out, he struck him with his sword, and cut him in two. He dried his sword, and went on his way. But behold, the lion followed him, and played about him, as though it had been Greyhound that he had just reared. They proceeded thus throughout the day, until the evening, and when it was time for Owain to take his rest, he dismounted, and turned his horse loose in a flat and wooded meadow. He struck a fire, and when the fire was kindled, the lion brought him fuel enough to last for three nights. And then the lion disappeared. Presently, though, the lion returned, bearing a fine large roebuck, and he threw it down before Owain, who went towards the fire with it. Owain took the roebuck and skinned it, and placed collops of its flesh upon skewers around the fire. The rest of the buck he gave to the lion to devour. While he was doing this, he heard a deep sigh near him, and a second, and a third. Owain called out to know whether the sigh he heard proceeded from a mortal, and he received an answer that it did who art thou said owain truly said the voice i am luned the handmaiden of the countess of the fountain and what dost thou here? said owain i am in prison said she on account of the knight who came from arthur's court and married the countess and he stayed a short time with her but he afterwards departed for the court of arthur and has not returned since and he was the friend i loved best in the world and two of the pages in the countess's chamber introduced him and called him a deceiver and i told them that they two were not a match for him alone so they imprisoned me in a stone vault and said that i should be put to death unless he came himself to deliver me by a certain day and that is no further off than the day after to-morrow and i have no one to send to seek him for me and his name is Owain, the son of urian and art thou certain that if that knight knew all this, he would come to thy rescue? I am most certain of it, said she. When the collops were cooked, Wayne divided them into two parts, between himself and the maiden. And after they had eaten, they talked together, until the day dawned. And the next morning, Wayne inquired of the damsel, if there were any place where he could get food and entertainment for the night there is lord said she cross over yonder and go along the side of the river in a short time thou wilt see a great castle in which there are many towers and the earl who owns that castle is the most hospitable man in the world there thou mayst spend the night never did sentinel keep stricter watch over his lord than the lion that night over awain and awain accouted his horse and passed across the ford and came in sight of the castle he entered it and was honorably received his horse was well cared for and plenty of fodder was placed before him the lion went and lay down in the horse's manger so that none of the people in the castle dared to approach him the treatment with which Owain met with there was such as he had never known elsewhere for every one was as sorrowful as though the death had been upon him and they went to meet and the earl sat upon one side of Owain, and on the other side his only daughter, and Owain had never seen any more lovely than she. Then the lion came and placed himself between Owain's feet, and he fed him with every kind of food that he took himself, and he never saw anything equal to the sadness of the people. In the middle of the repast the earl began to bid Owain welcome. Then, said Owain, behold, it is time for thee to be cheerful. Heavens knows,' said the earl, "'that is not thy coming that makes us sorrowful, "'but we have cause enough for sadness and care.' "'What is that?' said Owain. "'I have two sons,' replied the earl, "'and yesterday they went to the mountains to hunt. "'Now there is on the mountain a monster "'who kills men and devours them, "'and he seized my sons, "'and tomorrow is the time he has fixed to be there.' and he threatens that he will then slay my sons before my eyes, unless I deliver into his hands this, my daughter. He has the form of a man, but his the stature he is no less than a giant. Truly, said away, that is lamentable, and which wilt thou do? Heaven's knows, said the earl, it will be better that my sons should be slain against my will, than that I should voluntarily give my daughter to him to ill-treat and destroy. Then they talked about other things, and Owain stayed there the night. The next morning they heard an exceedingly great clamour, which was caused by the coming of the giant with the two youths, and the earl was anxious both to protect his castle and to release his two sons. Owain put on his armour and went forth to encounter the giant, and the lion followed him. When the giant saw that Owain was armed, he rushed towards him and attacked. The lion fought with the giant much more fiercely than Owain did. Truly, said the giant, I should find no difficulty in fighting with thee were it not for the animal that is with thee. Upon that, Owain took the lion back to the castle and shut the gate upon him, and then he returned to fight the giant as before. The lion roared loudly, for he had heard that it went hard for Owain. And he climbed up till he reached the top of the earl's hall, and thence he got to the top of the castle. He sprang down from the walls and went to join Awain. And the lion gave the giant the stroke with his paw, which tore from him his shoulder to his hip, and his heart was laid bare. The giant fell down dead, and Wayne restored the two youths to their father. The earl besought Owain to remain with him, and he would not. He set forwards towards the meadows where Lundin was. And when he came there he saw a great fire kindled. Two ewes with beautiful curling auburn hair were leading the maiden to cast her into the fire. Owain asked them what charge they had against her. They told him of the compact that was between them, as the maiden had done the night before. And, they said, Owain has failed her, therefore we are taking her to be burnt truly said owain he is a good knight and if he knew that the maiden was in such peril i marvel that he came not to rescue her but if he will accept me in his stead i will do battle with you we will said the youths by him who made us and they attacked owain and he was hard beset by them and with that the lion came to owain's assistance and they too got the better of the young man and they said to him, Chieftain, it is not agreed that we should fight save with thyself alone, and it is harder for us to contend with yonder animal than with thee. Owain put the lion in the place where the maidens had been imprisoned and blocked up the door with stones and He went to fight with the young men as before, but Owain had not his usual strength, and the two youths pressed hard upon him. The lion roared incessantly at seeing Owain in trouble he burst through the wall until he found a way out he rushed upon the young men and instantly slew them so Lunard was saved from the burning Owain returned with Lunard to the dominions of the Countess of the Fountain and when he went thence he took the Countess with him to Arthur's Court and she was his wife as long as she lived and then he looked to the road that led to the court of the savage black man. And Awain fought with him, and the lion did not quit until he had vanquished him. And when he reached the court of the black man, he entered the hall, and beheld four-and-twenty ladies, of the fairest that could ever be seen. And the garments which they had on were noteworthy, four-and-twenty pence. And they were as sorrowful as death. Owain asked them the cause of their sadness. They said, We are the daughters of the earls. And we came here with our husbands, whom we dearly loved. And we were received with honour and rejoicing, and we were thrown into a state of stupor. And while we were thus, the demon who owns the castle slew our husbands, and took from us our horses, and our raiment, and our gold, and our silver, and the corpses of our husbands are still in the house, and many others with them. And this chieftain is the cause of our grief, and we are sorry that thou art come hither, lest harm should befall thee." Owain was grieved when he heard this, and he went forth from the castle, and he beheld a knight approaching him, who saluted him in a friendly and cheerful manner, as if he had been a brother. And this was the black man. "'In very sooth, said Owain, "'it is not to seek thy friendship that I am here.' "'In sooth, said he, "'thou shalt not find it then.' And with that they charged each other, and fought furiously. Owain overcame him, and bound his hands behind his back. Then the black man besought Owain to spare his life, and spoke thus. My lord, Awain, said he, it was foretold that thou shouldst come hither, and vanquish me, and thou hast done so. There was a robber here, and my house was a house of spoil. But grant me my life, and I will become the keeper of a hospice. And I will maintain this house as a hospice for the weak and for strong, for as long as I live, for the good of thy soul. Owain accepted this proposal of him, and remained there that night. The next day he took the four-and-twenty ladies, and their horses, and their raiments, and what they possessed of goods and jewels, and proceeded with them to Arthur's court. And if Arthur was rejoiced when he saw him, after he had lost him the first time, his joy was now much greater, And of those ladies, such as wished to remain in Arthur's court, remained there, and such as wished to depart, departed. And thenceforward, Awain dealt at Arthur's court, greatly beloved as the head of his household, until he went away with his followers. And those were the army of three hundred ravens, which Canvirking had left him. And when Awain went with these, he was victorious. This is the tale of the Lady of the Fountain. So there we go. Uh, another tale from the Mabinogion. As I say, we have done now the four parts, the four major branches of the Mabinogion, so we're now moving into the other tales. And a lot of them do kind of come from Arthurian legends and they are based in Arthurian tales and things so this is the first one uh, the first of the five that exist in the book that I'm reading from that is the version by Lady Charlotte Guest from 1877 found over at sacredtext.com I will include a link in my show notes to that and you can see the number of times I fuck up the Welsh names I apologize to all of my Welsh listeners I do not have the 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 chops for, for your language, I, I, I feel bad about that but I enjoy, I enjoy telling the tales, you have such wonderful wonderful tales for me to tell so thank you very much for that but a little bit about this this book, not this book, this tale as I said in the beginning this is one of the three Welsh romances that are associated, and all three of them come from the Mabonogion this is kind of like the most famous one, uh, The Lady of the Fountain is based upon or analogous to an old French poem, which is also comes from Arthurian legends. It's not an, another Arthurian tale. And this is Yvain, the Knight of the Lion. So this is written by. I don't think I'm going to pronounce this right either. Uh, but yeah, so Yvain, the Knight of the Lion, is written by Chrétien de Troye. Um, it's an old French tale, an old French poem written. Uh, in around 1180 ish, and it was released at the same time or written around the same time as Lancelot, the Knight of the Carl. So it, it's one of the old ones. The Lady of the Fountain is probably sometime in the 14th century, um, it's from the Red Book of Hergest uh, or the White Book of Ruderk, and they're both around the 14th century. That's where the kind of most of the tales from the Mabinogion come from. That's that's where the story comes from. It's 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 based off this this tale of Yvain, knight uh, of the lion. I, I could go into a whole babble about that. I was going to do a little bit of discussion on it, but I feel this episode is long enough already. My next episode is probably going to be a while to come out. I know there's they're, they're coming out very sporadically at the moment, but my next episode I do want to delve into the history of a certain character, a certain well-known female, deity, demon, feminist, and where they come from. But I want to make sure that I get all of that correct, so uh, that's actually going to be a, a, a delve into history and and things. It's not going to be a tale as such, so be prepared for that one when it comes out. So if you did enjoy this tale, um, I do have, as I say, the, other four, the, the four main branches. I've done those previously. So you can go back and check them out Uh, I've done the last couple of episodes have been just random gothic tales My last episode was something else completely different A bit of a philosophical tale I suppose in the library But yeah, if you enjoy this do give me a like and subscribe You can find me on Twitter, I occasionally post there Maybe, maybe not I do have a Kofi account which is linked below as well Again. I'm not great with social media. Again, I've got Facebook as well, again, not for good social media. I just put these out because I like telling stories and, and occasionally people listen to it. I do have a an email address of thedrunkenstorytelleruk at gmail.com if you want to send me any suggestions. Um not that anybody ever does. That's because I have about three listeners. So uh I think I shall leave it there for this time. I've got nothing more really to say. I hope you enjoy the tale, and all that is left for me to say is goodbye my friends.